Hey, good morning, everyone. There's, there's, a, there's a scripture that, that bothers me because it, it, it seems like if, if you read it, there's a, a side of God that just seems kind of harsh. And it, it's that scripture in Hebrews, it, quoting from Proverbs, that says, The Lord disciplines those he loves and he, he chastises everyone he receives as his sons. How many of us know that, that there are times in our lives where, where the Lord will discipline us? Because because he loves us. But how many of us like discipline? How many of us like going through that time of chastisement? We we don't we don't like it, but we know if God does love us, he's gonna discipline us as as his sons. And and I can just remember growing up the time I mean I had great parents and the times that my father had to discipline me, um, which was never because I was just perfect. So um no, that's not true. But I can remember one time um when I was probably like eight years old or nine years old, and there's that time that uh, my parents had to discipline me, and um, I remember we had these railroad tracks that went behind our house, and the train would come by, you know, I don't know how many times, but it would come by at least once or twice or three times a week. And so my friend and I had this great idea. When the train would come by, it would be so loud. So we said, as the train came by, we, we had this great idea of just yelling explicitives out as the train went by because we didn't think anybody could hear us. So we're just cursing out the train as it goes by and we knew we probably knew like two words but we used those pretty loudly as the train went by so we're yelling these words out and um all of a sudden when the train goes by and it stops we look behind and there's my friend's mom standing there she hears everything and she's not happy so my friend goes home and he gets his mouth washed out with soap kind of like ralphie on the christmas story he gets the soap in his his mouth and thank god my Parents didn't discipline me that way, but uh, the word got back uh, to my parents on what happened. And I can't remember uh, what happened, but I, I remember my, my dad sitting me down and just saying, you know, we, we don't use those words and whatever. And he, he whatever the punishment I got, I deserved or, or whatever. Um, but there's that balance between, I mean, no, there's that balance between punishment and God's love and God doing it for a greater purpose in our lives. And And it's hard when we go through those times because we're like, you know, many times when we know we've done something wrong, it's, it's easy just to say, okay, I messed up and I deserve this and, 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 you know, I just need to live with it. And there are times where God allows us to go through things because he loves us and he wants us to grow closer to him and he wants us to have a dependency on him and he's trying to um, get rid of the dross and, and the things that are in our life that keep us from truly knowing him. Uh, but that doesn't mean he doesn't love us, even though he disciplines us. And, and, and my parents were great about that. I mean, even though they disciplined me as a child, I always knew that they loved me. And, and there was always an explanation. Um, you know, my mom used to say, you know, just wait till your dad gets home. Remember that? Oh, I love that. So you're waiting like hours on pins and needles like, oh, my gosh, dad's going home. Dad's coming home. He's going to kill me. Right. Um, but there's a way that, that God works with us in, in the balance of his love and, and his Discipline, And I think the mistake we can make as followers of Christ is not allow God's discipline to come into our life and, and not allow that to change us and realizing why are these things happening in my life? Maybe God has allowed these things to happen because he's trying to get rid of the dross and the impurities that are in my life that are keeping me from really knowing him. And with discipline comes instruction and correction. And, and, and even though it may hurt 
at that time, it's ultimately for our good. And we're in the part of the story, and I, I hope you're still reading the book, the story. I hope you're still going through it chapter by chapter. And, and we're in the part of the story, we're about halfway through now. Um, and we're in the part of the story where God is disciplining Israel for their action. God makes a promise to Israel that I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. God has brought them out of bondage, out of Egypt. He's taken them through the 40 years of their wilderness experience in the desert. He brings them into the promised land. He makes a covenant to, to Abraham years before that to say, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to create a great nation out of you. God is faithful to his covenant-keeping promises to them. But as we read through the story and as we're reading, Israel backslides and they begin to worship the foreign gods around them. And then they call out to God and they say, well, God, we want a a king to lead us. We want a king to rule us like the other countries. And that really wasn't God's plan. But God says, okay, if you want a king, you can have a king. Well, through Israel's history during this time, there's 39 kings that rule Israel. And for the majority of the kings, they don't rule well. And if you're reading through the story, you can see all the corrupt kings and all the things they did and how they allowed idol worship within the country of Israel and how they uh, turned Israel away to worship foreign gods and just do detestable practices that, that, that just abhorred God. And so they allow this immorality into their country. And so what God does is, is God disciplines them. And the way God disciplines them is he sends prophets among them to speak his heart to them, to say, this is not what I have for you. And because of your waywardness, I'm going to allow foreign nations to come and to take you captive. And so what we're going to see within Israel is we're going to see a couple foreign nations that come in and and take Israel captive and take them back to their land. Now, as you remember, as we've been studying the story, Israel was split in two to a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. And the, the southern kingdom was first taken captive by Assyria in 722 B.C. It was a terrible day for them. And, and God said, enough is enough. And I'm going to exile you. And I'm going to use this as judgment upon you and discipline upon you because of your waywardness. Now, the southern kingdom, Judah, had some more righteous kings, and they lasted a little bit longer for another 136 years. Um, They would still have a country, but they would eventually be taken captive by Babylon. And as you're reading through the story, you can see what happens with these kings. And there's a couple that were good and many that were bad. And, And what I want to focus on is one prophet who prophesied during this time of Judah's captivity. We've been studying Isaiah. We studied Isaiah last week, and he prophesied in northern Israel about their captivity with Assyria. And now Jeremiah the prophet is going to prophesy during a time where Judah is taken captive by Babylon. Now, Jeremiah is an interesting prophet because he was known as the weeping prophet um, because he's seen the destruction of of Jerusalem right before his very eyes. He sees the waywardness of the people of God and how they walked away from the Lord. And Jeremiah spoke to the people um, and, and, and told them not to follow these other gods, but they did. And because of this, God allowed these four nations to come and take over them as part of his judgment. And so Jeremiah would give a prophecy that said, you're going to be taken captive for 70 years. And this is a very interesting prophecy because we're going to study this prophecy next week when we look at the prophet Daniel, who is part of this exile, who Daniel goes to Babylon and God uses Daniel greatly. Many of you that 
went through the Beth Moore study. You studied Daniel. Just incredible, incredible study on the person of Daniel. Next week is a great, great topic. I'm excited about speaking about Daniel because Daniel is given some insight and prophecy about end times. And I believe that the book of Daniel is the key to understanding end time prophecy. So if you want to know about end time prophecy and how everything works out at the end, come next week. Because Daniel's prophecy in this 490 years vision that the Lord gives him is incredible. So if you want to jump ahead, read Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. There's, everybody's writing that down right now. I see you guys really excited about that. Okay, so put it in your brain. Daniel chapter 9. And what I want to do is I want to read for you in, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 25. And we're going to look exactly what happened to Jerusalem. What happened to the southern kingdom of Judah. And it's recorded for us in 2 Kings 25 verses 8 through 12. And let's see what happened here. Um, and the destruction that happened and how uh, Jeremiah speaks to this in, and even the hope that we can find even in the destruction. So here it says, On the seventh day of the fifth month of the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And what did he do? He set fire to the temple of the Lord. Now, now, this is a horrific sight because the temple represented the spiritual center of Israel. So Babylon comes in. God allows this to happen. This isn't out of the sight of God or out of his sovereignty. God sees this and he allows this to happen. And the royal place in the houses of Jerusalem, every important building he had burned down. And normally when an enemy would come in, they would burn the city down, showing its destruction, that it has no more power, that this foreign enemy now has the power. And so the whole Babylonian, uh, Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, the commander of the guard, carried into exile, and here's where the people are carried into exile, the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and the fields. Now, you would think at this point, it's all over. Um, they deserve what they got, and basically it's the end of the story. But I want you to realize today that God doesn't work that way he just doesn't bring judgment because he hates israel and he's done with her and and he's just going to be cruel to her um i'm glad that god doesn't work that way he doesn't work that way in our lives can i get a thank you lord right i mean how many times have we turned away from the lord or we've done something that uh that was a stench to the nostril of god but Yet God in his patience and his grace was patient with us, waiting for us to repent. Thank God that he doesn't work that way. And so Jeremiah sees all this. And Jeremiah gives some very specific prophecies in his book and Jeremiah concerning this very destruction of Jerusalem. And we can get some wonderful insights into the heart of God and what God sees about this and how God is just not harsh and is not wringing his hand saying, see, this is what you did. Everything's destroyed now. You deserve what you're getting. But, but God has a greater purpose here. And so Jeremiah, seeing all this, he is, he is downtrodden himself. Jeremiah himself 
was persecuted. He, in fact, he was thrown in a slimy pit. And so Jeremiah has seen all this, even though he's following God, um, he, he, he's a result of the residuals of the sins of Israel. So he feels the persecution. And so you would think Jeremiah would be bitter. But I want you to listen to the words of Jeremiah. He, he writes a book called Lamentations. And it's, his, it's, it's a writing of, of, of the heartbeat of God and, and what he sees in his people and that he grieves over this. This isn't something that God is happy about. This is something that God was very patient with Israel, but he sees this and he grieves over it and he sees what happens. And because of their sins, they're living out this very destruction. I want you to know that God grieves over our lives when we walk away from him. God is not happy with that. I mean, God sees our lives and he knows as much as, as God would, you know, so many times, well, why doesn't God just come right in and just change everything for that person? How many have ever seen somebody walk down a road and you've seen them and you know the road they're walking down? And, and no matter what you say to them, right? And you speak to them, they say, do you see what you're doing? Do you know where you're going, right? And they're just like, yep, and they don't care. And you're like, and you know, where they're going to go. And all of a sudden, you just got to step back. And how many parents know what I'm talking about? And so many times, you just got to step back. And you got to say, God, I've got to hand them over to you. And you've got to do your work in their heart. Because only you can change them. Only you can change their heart. So I've got to pray for them, Lord. And I'm going to hand them over. As much as we want to intersect that, as much as we want to shake them, right? And wake them up. Are you with me, 830 crowd? Right? As much as we want to shake them, how many know that sometimes it doesn't work? And so God in his patience and his love for us allows them to make this choice. God is, is, is not going not gonna to get us in a headlock and make us change. It's got to be a change of what? It's got to be a change of the heart. And if the heart doesn't change, it's meaningless. And so for God, he sees this. And I want you to look at the heartbeat of God in Lamentations chapter 1. And here is Jeremiah's cry to the Lord. And I want you to realize this is God's cry for you and I many times when we've walked away. And look at what Jeremiah sees, because this is a spiritual thing. It's just not the city is destroyed, oh well. But the city is symbolic of the spiritual lives of Israel that once was great and grandiose is now destroyed by fire. And this is the effects of sin in our lives when we allow it to run rampant in our hearts. So let's look at this. Chapter 1, he says, how deserted lies... Let me first say this. The wording here is so eloquent. I just, even though it's, it's hard to read, it, it's just beautiful wordage here. And I want you to grab the, the context of this. It says, oh... Deserted lies, how deserted lies the city, once full of people. And she's like a widow, is she who once was great among the nations. She who was a queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are on her cheek. Among all her lovers there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her, they've become her enemies. After affliction and a harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her. In the midst of her distress, the roads to Zion mourn. No one comes to her appointed festivals. 
You see, Israel was the point to where everyone would come and celebrate what God is doing through their festivals. No one is on those roads anymore. No one comes. All her gateways are, are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young women grieve. And she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many, what? Sins. Her children have gone into exile, captive before the foe. This is the heartbeat of God grieving over his children that have gone astray, just as a parent would grieve over a child. I want to look at a couple chapters later. Lamentations is not a very long book. I want to look at a couple verses later. You can think, man, pastor, this is depressing. Happy New Year to me, right? This is what's going on here. But I want you to see what happens to Jeremiah. God gives Jeremiah a glimpse of what he's going to do, that he's not going to leave her in this situation, that there is hope for those who turn back to the Lord. Let's flip over a couple chapters to to Lamentations uh, chapter 3, and I love these verses, uh, 19 through 26. And, And listen, here's the heartbeat of Jeremiah. He says, I remember my affliction. Now, he's slimy pit. He's been persecuted. Jerusalem's lays in destruction. He sees the whole thing. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. But yet, listen to the hope of Jeremiah. I love this. Verse 21. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. Jeremiah is quoting back to the Lord his promises. That God, I know that you're going to discipline. I know you brought this destruction. I know you led the the Israels into captivity. You have done all this, but yet we are not consumed. Even though this seems so hopeless, it seems like the dead end. It seems like we're at the bottom of the pit. But yet... His compassions never fail, for they are new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, what what Jeremiah is doing, he's quoting back to the Lord his promises. Even though we walked away, even though we were faithless to you, you remain always faithful. Can I get an amen? Amen. Are you with me this morning? I know you guys got, I know you got your Christmas hangovers, but we're going to come. Come on, let's bring it alive here. This is great. He says in verse 24, I say to myself, what the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for what? Him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So where is the hope in all this? Because it seems so hopeless. The, the situation of Israel seems like there's, there's, this is not going to be a good ending. Jeremiah knew that even though God's people weren't faithful, God would remain faithful to them. Why? Because he made a covenant with them. God still has a covenant with his people. 
And we're going to see this next week in, in our end time prophecy message next week. God remained faithful to them even though they were not faithful to the Lord. You see, God is not about destruction. He is about restoration. God was not about destroying Israel. He was actually doing something to restore her. And some of you may look back at your life and say, man, that was a really hard time, or why did God allow that? It wasn't for your destruction. It was actually for your restoration. You should have been writing that down because I don't preach that good all the time. That was a good quote to write down, okay? Because we need to hear this because this, is, this, is, this is, gives us hope. You see, God disciplines us to restore us, not destroy us. His discipline is all about restoration. So what God was doing for Israel, by, you're thinking, why would he allow them for the enemy to take them captive and to take them into a foreign land. That just doesn't make sense. God was allowing this to happen to actually restore them. And so God didn't do this to necessarily pay them back, but it was to bring them back to him. So this wasn't a payback. This wasn't something personal with God. This was something that God allowed so that it could bring them ultimately back to him. And so God gives Jeremiah a vision that this destruction wasn't going to be forever, that this discipline wasn't going to be forever, this, the time in exile wasn't going to be forever. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, God gives Jeremiah a word, and it says this, this is what the Lord says. It says, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And so what God is telling Jeremiah is saying, listen, it's going to be 70 years. And after those 70 years, I will restore once again and bring people back to Jerusalem to rebuild that which was destroyed. This very prophecy Daniel, we'll see next week, read while he was in captivity in Babylon, which gave him encouragement to realize that this isn't going to be forever, that God is going to bring people back to restore um, the temple. And that's exactly what happened. So in fact, this very passage is a passage of encouragement to Jeremiah to speak to the people that this isn't going to last forever. And here is what I love about the next few verses um, in Jeremiah 29. And some of you may have put this to memory. Uh, these are probably some of the most encouraging words in, in the Old Testament. And it's just a few verses later. And here's what I love about the next few verses, because it gives them hope and it gives us hope that God is not about destruction, but he's about restoring us. And I love this. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13. You need to write this Verse down if you already haven't put it to memory, but, but I love this. And listen to what God says to his people. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. He says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will do what? I will answer you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to put a deaf ear to you. 
Yeah, it's been hard. Yeah, you've gone through a really difficult time. Yeah, you messed up big time. But if you come to me, if you humble yourself before me, if you lay your sin before me, I'm not going to turn a deaf ear to you. I'm not going to kick you out. I'm not going to push you deeper in guilt and condemnation. In fact, I want to bring you out. In verse 13, I love, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? It's got to be a heart change. And so God used all of this to change Israel's heart. And, 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 and sometimes there has to be a heart change. It's, it's like when, when you kind of watch those, um, uh, I don't know what they're called, but they're, they're like these little documentaries of kids that, that go into the prison system that are really at risk kids for going into jail. And you got all these prison people yelling at them in their face and you need to change or you're going to end up, you know. And I can remember watching this one show where this one boy, he was just hard. And this one inmate, she was a woman, got in his face. And he goes, don't get in my face. And she's saying, and all of a sudden she started to get tears in her eyes. And she goes, you don't want to end up here. And she just hugged the kid. I go, he's going to swing at her. He's going to. And all of a sudden she kept hugging him and hugging him and saying, you don't want to be here. You don't, I know it. I know it. I know it. You don't want to be in this place. And all of a sudden he broke. He broke. He just started crying. It was amazing transformation because there's a transformation that happened in his heart. And that's what God wanted for Israel. That's what God wants for us. See, this verse is a reminder of what God said to Israel when they were entering the promised land in Deuteronomy 4.29 when he says, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. You'll find him. He's not going to be hidden from you. But the thing that hides us from the Lord is our very own sin. And so God has done everything to reach out to us, to restore us. And here's the upper story. Here's the upper story of this whole thing and and how it ties in to the story of redemption and what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. I want you to realize this morning that God is patient with you and I. Thank God for his patience. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, right? As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to what? Repentance. His grace is there over and over and over and over again, waiting for us. This is God's will for you and I, that we would seek his son for forgiveness. And so what God did for us, what we could do for ourselves, is he sent his son to restore us, to repair that which was broken, that sin did in our life. And so what Jesus Christ did for you and I is he hung on a cross, he bore our sin to bring healing to our lives, to restore the brokenness of sin. And God did the very same thing for Israel. He allowed them to go through discipline, but he says, I will restore you if you come back to me. And so God ultimately knew that through his son, Jesus, we would ultimately be restored. So how can, how can God keep his promise to restore our brokenness well, or the brokenness of Israel and their sin? See, God knew eventually that Jesus would come to restore all things that are broken. He would ultimately give 
his perfect life for our sin. John 6.37 says, And all those the Father give me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. God can make that promise because Jesus fulfilled everything that his Father wanted him to do. And so anyone that comes to the Lord, Jesus says to me, Come to me, all you are heavy laden, all you that are worrisome, Come to me, and I will give you peace, and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burdens are light. He said, just come. Come and let me restore your brokenness. I, um, back in the fall, I like, I like Bear Grill. He's this extreme guy that goes out in the woods and just gets dropped off in a helicopter and has nothing but his big Rambo knife, and, um, which is really cool, by the way. And like he eats bugs and and tree bark and really cool stuff. You guys ever watch Bear Grylls, his outdoor adventure? Well, he has a new show on in the fall where he actually would take celebrities with him, out with him. I would absolutely love to do that. That would be so much fun, as long as Bear Grylls is with me. Well, Bear Grylls is a believer. He's a follower of Jesus. And he had Deion Sanders on his show. And uh, if you don't know who um, Deion Sanders is, he was called Prime Time because he lived up to that very name. He was one of the most feared cornerbacks and all of the NFL. Um, quarterbacks dreaded throwing his way because he could just intercept the ball and just run it back for a touchdown. He was just the fastest guy. I think he was one of the best cornerbacks to ever play the game. He could do punt returns. He was just an amazing guy, very exciting to watch. He was all the hype when you'd watch him, and everybody would love to watch him. He won two Super Bowls um, with the Dallas Cowboys. And when he was on this show... Bear Grylls just asked him, he said, what was it like? To, and you're going to see, I'm going to show you the video clip. Because when I was watching the show, I was like, oh, this is so good. Deion Sanders is sharing what, how Christ changed him. And basically what you're going to see is he goes, when in the Super Bowl, you would think would be so great, but it actually caused him to spin into a depression and want to even take his own life. And what Christ did for Dion was restored him, all his brokenness. And he says, I had everything. At least I thought I did. And God restored him. And he had a praying mama (laughs) that prayed for him. And I want to show you this video clip. It's very powerful. But I want you to realize this morning that you might be going through a really hard time today. And there may be something in your life that that, that just needs to be broken today that you need to give to the Lord. Allow God to restore it. I don't know what it is, but God does. And you may think that it's, you may think it's God's anger against you. You may think it's God is mad with you. Why, why are all these things happening to me? Why is this happening? When I, when I take one step forward, it seems like I always take two steps back, Pastor. Why are all these things happening? Let me just say this. Don't spur. Don't come against the discipline of the Lord because he's trying to do something deeper in your life if you allow it to happen. And as hard as it may sound, It's not for your destruction. It's for your restoration that God is doing this. It's because he loves you. And he wants to work something deeper in your heart and your life than you will ever know. But if you seek him, you'll find him, he says. He'll restore. God is all about restoration, as the prophecy of Jeremiah said. It's encouragement us today. So uh, go ahead and look up at the screen. Look at the testimony here, Deion Sanders. Good stuff.
Dion is the only man in history to play in both the Super Bowl and the World Series. He dominated both sports for more than a decade, earning himself two Super Bowl rings and a spot in the Hall of Fame. So out of all of the sporting moments, what was your greatest, do you think? Do you ever think about those or do you not really? Honestly, man, behind the veil, behind the mask, I'm really different than my public persona. My public persona is prime time, you know? So like, even like when you won the Super Bowl and stuff? When I won the Super Bowl, when I won my first Super Bowl. What did you do? I was the first one on the bus, first one to bed. I didn't even go to party. It was something missing inside, man. It wasn't fulfilling as I thought it was. It wasn't about the things, the outward things, because I had um, power, money, and, and sex, but it wasn't fulfilling. So you had all of that power, money, and sex, and it was it just? It was empty. It's an empty feeling still. Still empty. So what happened? That's when I went through my my first divorce, in which the only things that I knew that truly loved me were my two kids. Now they're gone. Now they've been taken away. Because you lost custody of your kids. It was, it was devastating, and I went through suicidal thoughts, a suicidal period. I, I ran um, this car off the side of the highway and was at the bottom. I thought it would just car would flip. It didn't flip. And I was still there. And I was like, man. Hmm. Shortly after that, I had to just come to the Lord with my hands up, say, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. You got me. I give up. God, you take me. So like all of that power, money, sex didn't empty. give you what your, your empty. faith has. Mm-mm. Empty. Emptiness. There's a great power to being able to achieve amazing things. Mm-hmm. and yet hold them so lightly because you have something far more precious. That's it. And, you know, we share a faith together. You know, it's like a backbone to me as well. And it's like all the achievements and the summits and they're, they're nothing compared to, right. you know, that's something inside. And I totally see it in you. I stay strong and I never question God. And I won custody. So you won custody. Yeah, I won custody of all my babies. And I'm happy, you know, I pride myself on being the best dad in the world, man. I know all their shoe sizes, all their clothes sizes, their teachers. Uh, I know how to braid my daughter's hair. (laughs) It has to be something bigger than you that you're working for, that you're living for. If it's all about you, you've already lost. All right, on your chair when you walked in should have been a little slip of paper like this. And uh, what we want to do to close our service today is um, for you to think of something. Maybe God has already put on your heart, man. If there's something in my life that either needs to be either needs to be redeemed, needs to be broken, that God needs to that God just needs to take um, to to have access to, so that He can do His work. Um, Maybe just in a word, you would write something on this card. And uh, you're just hold on to it. Um, and, and as you write it down, you can just hold on to it. We're going to um, sing one final song um, in, in closing our service. But think through um, as, a, as they're singing. And once you think of the thing that you, you're like, man, I know this is what God wants to break in me. And let me be honest with you. There is something in every single one of us. You're fooling yourself if you think that you're beyond this. If you think that there isn't some, there is something in every single person until we reach heaven that God is still trying to fix, that God is still trying to redeem, that God is still trying to get access to, to make you more and more and more like his son, Jesus.
So please don't let this moment go by and say, this is for people who don't know God, or this is something that, that, I should, that I done, I've done a long time ago. Every single moment of our lives, God is still tr- chasing after us and trying to redeem something that we are so intently trying to hold on to. And maybe you're not even aware of it. Maybe God needs to reveal that thing to you first before you can even write it down. Or maybe you know exactly, you know exactly what it is that God needs to redeem. It could be a relationship. It could be an attitude. It doesn't matter what it is. You and God know what it is. So I'm just going to ask you to just write down something, hold on to it. And, uh, and as soon as you think of that thing and you know you got it and you write it down, you can stand up and join us to sing. And uh, we're just going to worship God as our redeemer and as our cleanser. And that's how we're going to kind of close today. And then I'll come back up and give a couple more instructions what you're going to do with this once you write it down. But um, just do that. And uh, let's just worship God and thank him for the gift that he gives us, who is Jesus, that even lets us be redeemed, that even allows us to experience brokenness in a healthy way that brings us back to his side. Amen. So they're going to lead us. And as soon as you're ready, you can stand up and and worship with us.